5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And on today's punch out, we're talking about the cops in D.C. brutalizing residents for the second day. The U.K. Labor Party seemingly cannibalizing itself here. But first we go to the Supreme Court, which is putting its thumb on the scales of the election yet again. Be afraid, America. Be very afraid. There's an active attempt to try to steal this election. In particular, the saga over when states are going to be able to count mail-in votes is continuing at the Supreme Court as Republican challenges to voting rules in Pennsylvania and North Carolina, while seemingly having failed got a bit of an assist from Republican-appointed Supreme Court justices. Now, as we mentioned to you yesterday, Pennsylvania allows ballots that arrive by mail that are postmarked by Election Day to be counted for up to three days after the election, which, of course, makes sense. You know, there's many reasons why it may come later. That has nothing to do with the voter themselves. So postmark it by Election Day. You should be good as long as it comes in three days after. Now, Republicans had challenged that rule a few weeks ago, and the Supreme Court deadlocked on the decision, meaning that in Pennsylvania, the three-day rule stood. Well, maybe it stood, and that was because Republicans said, well, we'll just challenge it again after there's a new Supreme Court justice, Amy Coney Barrett. They did challenge it again. She did not actually hear the case, said she couldn't get up to speed, and so ultimately what ended up happening was the uh, the United States Supreme Court decided to let the three-day rule stand, but there's another maybe in here, because even though the Supreme Court didn't release a vote count, Justice Alito wrote a decision that was for him, uh, also Justice Justice Thomas, and also Justice Gorsuch. And they said that the court may rehear the case. Now, get ready for this. They may rehear the case after the election. And that means that Pennsylvania is being forced to put the ballots from this three-day window into a separate box just in case they have to throw out these ballots when the case is heard for a third time, almost certainly after the election occurs. Not almost certainly, definitely. So think about it just like this, a ballot that counts on election night, that counts the day after election night, that counts the day after that, or even the day after that, or whenever they finish counting these ballots that came in in the three days after, completely legally, could at some point, perhaps even a week or so later, then be thrown out. Now, there was another similar case in North Carolina where the court offered a similar decision. They allowed North Carolina to stick with its existing rule, which is to allow nine days for ballots to come in uh, and be counted as long as, of course, they're postmarked by Election Day. But here's the kicker. This also can be revisited. So just think about this maybe in layman's terms, if you will, the upshot of the whole thing. The Supreme Court is giving itself the right to change the rules of the game after the game is over and to use their rule change to then change the outcome of the game. And on top of all of that, they're doing all of this under the guise of fairness. 
Yes, that's right. They're saying that this is about fairness and, of course, the integrity of the election, but that if it's after the election, it's somehow unfair to count a legally cast ballot that was before the election. Uh, You know, we're through the looking glass on this one. I don't even know what else to say uh, about how ridiculous that really is. But I think one thing we can definitely say is it throws the potential election outcome into more pre-election turmoil here because there are 20-some-odd states which have similar practices, and it seems likely— That however the court rules in one instance, then there will be a rush to court to challenge in every other. So you can see right away how chaos could ensue in many states that don't seem to be a party to these Pennsylvania or these North Carolina rules. And I just, I mean, I said this yesterday about the same issue. You really have to ask yourself, how on earth do we not have one set of rules? This is a national election. Nothing else in this election works this way. You don't report your campaign finances randomly to every state based on completely arbitrary rules, but to the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, which has one set of rules. Seems obvious. National election. Everyone participates. Why is voting not the same? Why is there not one set of rules about this? Obviously, though. One major region is that many of the states, reason I should say, not region, uh, although the region where a lot of these states do these things uh, is relatively relatively well known, but many of the states want to retain their rights to keep as many people as possible from voting. That's what's ultimately behind this, is that there isn't a huge impetus by many of the states to change anything because the people who run the elections, they like the way it's going, and they like the way that many people are completely banned, or not banned, but essentially there's so many hurdles that are put in the way of their ability to vote. Now, just putting this in even more context, it's all coming amid a record number of people voting earlier all across the country. Texas, perhaps by tomorrow, could actually have more early votes than the entire number of ballots cast in 2016. More early votes in Texas, potentially by the end of this week, than the entire number of ballots in 2016. Montana, by the way, is also not that far away from the same mark. Don't know if they're going to make it, but they're at like 80-ish, 85% of that number. So, I mean, really huge amounts of people who are voting here. And it could all be very consequential because the poll in many of these races are showing that it's relatively tight. In North Carolina, previously mentioned, very important battleground state, the race is essentially a dead heat. In Pennsylvania, previously mentioned. Now, Biden, of course, has been consistently leading, but with margins between about three and five points in recent days. Arizona, Florida, also in dead heat territory. Now, there's some outliers that certainly look good for Biden, like Georgia, for instance, mainly Republican state or heavily Republican state in terms of how it votes, but Democrats seem to have made a game of it there in both the presidential and the Senate race. But as you can see, it really isn't that far-fetched to say that what this election could come down to is nine unelected judges deciding which legally cast ballots to count or not count. So I don't know how else you can really say it than to say that, in other words, the whole election could come down to a steal. (laughs) 
Well, and that is the sound you hear of D.C. cops brutalizing protesters for the second night in a row, launching a crackdown on protests that are demanding justice for Karan Hilton, 20 years old, killed last week. Uh, Earlier today, dash cam footage and body cam footage was released from the incident. And it shows, as was more or less clear from what we knew already, but it shows it very clearly that the D.C. police broke their rule against high-speed chases and chases chased Hilton through streets and through alleys, which ultimately led to Hilton being hit by a car as he was coming out of an alley. I've seen the video. I mean, the video is brutal, uh, brutal. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, they chase him out of an alley, you know, into a turn out of an alley into a street and he's just just hit by a car. It's unbelievable. You know, as bystanders have already stated about this, at one point during this chase, he actually, because he's doing nothing. I just want to say, he's riding a moped doing nothing. So at one point, he actually stopped to ask why he was being chased, and police were saying to him was because he didn't have a helmet, and also, at least one of these officers knew who he was, and you could be using, was using his name uh, in the course of, of, of all these different events. And You know, that's very notable because Hilton's best friend has stated that the 4th District police officers in that area had a long history of harassing Hilton, harassing his friends, and just having generally harassing, brutal type of behavior for young black folks in that community. And this particular officer, who was sort of the lead of this whole thing, is uh, all has a particular reputation in the neighborhood and in the community for being particularly brutal. So, circling back around to last night, just to give you some of that new information, community members gathered at the 4th District Police Station after a march. The police again decided to clear certain streets and close them down. They're pushing people back. They're just liberally deploying pepper spray and rubber bullets liberally. Liberally now. I mean, it's just all, I mean, it's not targeted. I mean, they're just spraying all over the place. And what's interesting about this is some of the reporters who are out there, well, there's many things that are interesting about it. One particular thing is that some of the reporters who are out there were able to pick up some of these rubber bullet canisters. And you can see that they were made by Combined Tactical Systems. Now, they actually just changed their name to Combined Systems, so that's how they're known now. But they are well known as a major provider of similar equipment to Israeli occupation forces. And these weapons are widely used across the West Bank and have been actually, uh, in at least just two incidents that we know about, have been involved in the death of two individuals protesting Israeli apartheid. So, I mean, maybe more than that, but two people killed, uh, and this is just in the past few years. So, in addition to this, after pushing people off the street, many of the people then took a refuge in a McDonald's. And in that McDonald's, people were sort of gathering themselves and then said they were going to leave, but the cops started to surround that area. So as people start to leave and try to get out and leave the area, the police start pepper spraying people again, including two children. Two children. There are people who have put out testimonies saying that they had to use their bodies to shield children. From this kind of brutality. Unbelievable. Now, the D.C. police claim that they're still investigating, but, you know, it looks like what always happens in these cases at this point in time, that they're going to let the cops off scot-free. So what really happened here? Koran Hilton killed over a helmet by cops who'd been harassing him for years. And then when people come out to demand justice using weapons, that are occupation-style weapons, militarized police-style weapons to crush peaceful protests. What a shameful state of affairs. Well, in a stunning move today, the UK Labour Party suspended Jeremy Corbyn 
for telling the truth. Now, Corbyn is the most recent past leader of the party, very popular person. His policies led to tens of thousands of people joining the party, actually made it the largest political party in Europe. He saw almost his entire tenure, though, hobbled by false accusations of rampant anti-Semitism in the party. And this was something that most saw as a smokescreen for opposition to Corbyn's left-wing anti-imperialist views. Now, this morning, the Equality and Human Rights Commission, that's the official equality watchdog in the United Kingdom, released a long-anticipated report into anti-Semitism in the party. The organization found two instances of anti-Semitism it considered unlawful. Now, (laughs) two instances, just for comparison's sake here, you may not know this, there are 500,000 people in the Labor Party. Two instances, 500,000 members. There are, I mean, whatever else you can say about that, the EHRC report clearly reflects, as did an internal Labor Party report that had been previously done, that there was no crisis of anti-Semitism in the Labor Party. No crisis at all. Two people. Corbyn said as much on Facebook this morning in response to the decision. In other words, he just told the truth and he was suspended for that Facebook post. Stunning censorship of a true fact from an official investigation. That again is the second one to clearly show there was no crisis of anti-Semitism. Asa Wynn Stanley, an associate editor with the Electronic Intifada, joined us on Breakthrough News to explain to us why exactly this was happening. The reason that it's this so-called anti-Semitism crisis refuses to die is because they, the powers that be, you know, the British establishment, um, even I would argue British intelligence services, the permanent security state, want to ensure that something like that never happens again inside a mainstream political party, which claims to represent uh, the views of uh, working people in this country. Time and time again, we've seen and we've we've thought, activists have thought, okay, well, they've had enough now, you know, they've made their point, they'll back off. But it, that never happens, you know, there's no bottom to this. Um, Israel lobby groups, especially, who are part of the wider right in this country, always have the policy of refusing to take yes for an answer. They, they pocket the results. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.